This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9, with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by the Messy Spirituality Podcast. Hey, this is Jason Elam. Join Lola Robbins, Kyle Butler, and me for the Messy Spirituality Podcast, where we try to empower your spiritual evolution with honest conversation about how to be a better human, taking a critical look at toxic Bible stories, and look behind the headlines for growth opportunities underlying current events. Hey, it's a bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering Southern Baptist preacher. What could possibly go wrong? Check out the Messy Spirituality Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, friends. I'm Tim Whitaker, and welcome to the New Evangelicals Podcast. The New Evangelicals is an inclusive, Jesus-centered community that holds space for people marginalized by the evangelical church, advocates for accountability in the church, and helps you explore the Christian tradition beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism. This podcast is part of that work, so join us as we talk to people from all walks of life, lending their expertise and wisdom to us as we renegotiate our faith and find better paths forward. Hi, my name is Tanuska and I'm from Denver, Colorado. I'm also a really proud TNE donor. What brought me to TNE is the ability to be in a space where I can ask good, hard questions about my faith and not feel judged and also feel spurred on to ask even more questions and to sit in my own um, maybe discomfort and also to make space for nuance. So I love TNE and I'm proud to be a supporter. Hello, beautiful people. How are you? Welcome. Another episode of the podcast. On this episode, I interviewed Dr. Laura Anderson. She wrote, When Religion Hurts You, Healing from Religious Trauma and the Impact of High Control Religion. We talk about, man, this is important, especially if you're someone who's navigating coming out of an abusive or traumatic church environment. Laura is just so good. She's so wise. Her book helps you out with that. And our conversation deals a lot with how do we define these terms? What separates what she calls an adverse religious experience versus religious trauma? How do we navigate this on the in the online world with all the separation and all of the hard to read text messages and the tone issues, all that stuff? So we talk about that and more. And I think you're going to love this interview. So Laura, thank you for coming on. Her book is out now. Make sure you pick it up. It is a great read. And as always, friends, thank you so much for either watching or listening to this on YouTube or 
Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. We are a nonprofit organization holding space for thousands of people as they navigate their religious experience. Uh, We really focus on people who are marginalized by the evangelical church. We advocate for accountability in evangelical spaces, and we help people like you explore beyond the basement of evangelical fundamentalism and look into all the rooms of the beautiful, rich, complicated, and sometimes harmful Christian tradition. If you want to support the work, donations are what make all this happen. We are a paywall-free organization. What does that mean? You don't have to pay us anything to get access to all of our content. That's what it means. There's no Patreon. There's no subscriptions. We rely on the generosity of people like you to make this work possible. If you can't donate, we understand. If you could review and rate this show or subscribe to our YouTube or podcast, that would be awesome as well. All right, friends, without further ado, here's my interview with Dr. Laura Anderson. Talk to you all later. All right. Well, um, here we go. Dr. Laura Anderson on the podcast with me. Thank you, by the way, for rescheduling last minute. I apologize for that. I like letting the world know that sometimes it's always well, not always, but it's usually my fault. Whenever a guest comes on late, that's up to me. So sorry about that. And thank you for making time. You wrote yes. a book, When Religion Hurts, Healing from Religious Trauma and the Impact of High Control Religion. Man, my audience would know nothing about such a book or such <laughs> right? a concept. So it's good yes. to have you on the podcast. Thanks for um, making time. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And rescheduling is not a problem at all. So it works, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I got to be honest, as um, as the work of TNE has been growing and yeah. the content creation thing has changed so drastically for me. Yeah. Uh, I'm grateful that I even have someone who schedules these appointments and who can email people for me because I would lose my uh, my mind. So shout out to like, Rebecca who is like, I can just email her, hey, set this up and it's done on yeah. my calendar. So yes. thank you. I mean, can we just shout out to our assistants? Because I'm like, I will literally give you all of my money. Just you take, you make my life so much easier. Oh, thank you. I, thank it you. It is weird because yeah. before I actually needed one, I was like, assistance. That's so yeah. pretentious, you know, like yeah. an assistant. But it's true. Like, like the more, oh my that, gosh. the more yeah. actual things you have to do, the more of yeah. a job it becomes to just organize yeah. it all. And my brain, yes. I'm not sure about you, Laura, mm-hmm. my brain is not naturally very organized. My emails are a shit show. I can't mm-hmm. find emails half the time. And so yeah. Rebecca, she has helped me out for almost so now maybe nice. seven months on the scheduling side. Uh, She's just been amazing. So, so nice. Rebecca, if you're listening, thank you, Rebecca. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, <laughs> this is not about Rebecca, though, is it? It's about you. <laughs> I love it. How's that for a segue? Yeah, so, it. you know, give me some background here. You, you wrote a book. You you have your PhD. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're brilliant. And I want to know, how did you grow up? And what were the ingredients that led to writing a book about high control religion? Did you grow up evangelical? I don't want to assume. I don't want to I assume. Did. But oh, yeah. tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I live in the South right now. And so the denomination of church that I went to is not here in the South. So it's the Evangelical Free Church. So, okay. I mean, yeah. it's like baked into it, right? Um, but I always tell people, you know, if you're looking like, what is the Evangelical Free Church, at least the one I grew up in, it's like, uh, you know, the Hellfire Brimstone kind of messaging of Southern Baptist with the stoicism of Lutheranism, with the rigidity of Church of Christ, all wrapped up in Reformed theology. And that was my upbringing. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I was was a camp kid. So my dad was a director at a fundamentalist Christian camp where we lived and we had a house on site and all of those things. Um, Of course, was involved in church. Um, 
I didn't, I was one of those people that was like, oh, I don't really like youth group. But I mean, it didn't even matter. Like I went, but I was so involved in everything else because of camp that it wasn't like I was at the church whenever it was open, but I was also like in ministry when the church mm. doors were closed. Yeah, And yeah. um, yeah, so when I got out of high school, you know, oh, I, I should say I also grew up like right when purity culture was like taking off. So like, I definitely was part of the group in 1993, whose true love weights virginity pledge card was like on the, the Capitol lawn, you know, I'm pledging my virginity wow. before I even really knew what that was. Um, you yeah. know, so I was a bit of a late bloomer. And so they're like, Oh, this, you know, don't have sex. So you're married. And I'm just like, Ew, boys, cooties, like, you know, whatever. Totally. But but yeah, so that was very baked in. Um, when I graduated from high school, I I had a lot of kind of credentials academically, musically, athletically that would have allowed me to kind of have my pick of schools. But wow, I was great. taught that the pinnacle of my life was to be a wife and mother. So why would I need to go to school um, and get so much school debt when really all I was going to be doing was raising children? And right. um, these were prime childbearing yes. years. Yeah. Mm. And there's certainly mm -hmm. nothing wrong with being a mother and being a wife. And and if you choose sure. to not um, work outside of the home, I mean, being a mom is a full time job for sure. Um, yes, but it yes, was. It yeah. But it was really when that's the only choice you have and it's the it's the godly choice. It, that's where it becomes more about control instead of choice. And so I, I was like, all right, I will wait for this man that God has for me. And so in the meantime, I'll get a degree at a community college just to, you know, kind of pass the time. Um, and that's actually when I started working at a church in a paid position, um, it, mm. first as an assistant and then as uh, a ministry coordinator I couldn't be a director because of my genitalia, um, and yet I was doing all of the 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 work of a director, and that's where I really started to experience what I would consider mo more overt spiritual abuse. Um, some very very specific instances and experiences with pastors, um, lots of control, manipulation, coercion, things like that, and ultimately. I, I didn't have language for it at the time, but it was ultimately what got me out. Um, I, mm. I started looking at, um, hey, are there other things I can do? Can I can I go back to school? I should say, I also got a degree in ministry at that time uh, in Bible and, and youth ministry. So there is that. Um, mm. And but I, but I realized like, I don't have a lot of options. Um, if this man that I'm waiting for and praying for is not coming along and I have to work in order to provide for myself, having a ministry degree does not necessarily provide for that because I'm a woman. And so my options are always going to be limited. And, and so I wanted to go back to school then to be a therapist and was in the process of going through all the interviews and, um, and slowly, like doors started shutting. And what I came to find out later was that the church leadership had actually called various schools and um, employment places that I was applying for employment to tell me or to uh, kind of blacklist me, essentially, so that I wouldn't get jobs, so that I wouldn't get into school. Um, and it ultimately kept me in my community for much longer. Um, 
but yeah, so, so eventually I did, I got out of the church in terms of like not working there. That gave me enough space to start seeing some things. I started kind of behind the scenes, starting to apply for different schools that wasn't going to require me to have recommendations from them. Um, And ultimately that's what led me to getting my master's degree in marriage and family therapy, at which point I knew I now have the resources to be able to move out of this community because I can get a job anywhere. Um, and that was, that was kind of the start. I started deconstructing during my, um, master's degree program. I think when you work with people, you start to see that the boxes that evangelicalism has created just simply can't exist. Um, and I apologize if you hear my dog in the background, she thinks she needs attention. Um, and she's looking at me (laughs) like, um, anyways, uh, so, so I had started deconstructing at that point, but it really wasn't until I moved to the South where I was able to say, okay, I'm out of this community that I grew up in. Um, I have the ability to make choices and that was awesome, but I didn't know how to make choices. I mean, when you grow right. up in a community that teaches you what to think instead of how to think you have very little choice in what you do. I call it fundamentalist hopping, where you end up in very similar groups and systems as what you came out of. So it led me into a Southern Baptist church. Um, Now, I will say, though, that there was some freedom to ask questions in that church. And that was, I think, the stepping stone that I needed to be able to ask questions and not have my salvation doubted. Um, and, and there was freedom then to have discussion. And, and so I, I took advantage of that. Um, I also started dating somebody at the time who ended up being quite abusive, but it was through that, that relationship, those askings of asking of questions that I was able to really do a lot more of what we call deconstruction and, and ultimately did end up leaving the church. And it wasn't until I had kicked my abusive partner out of our home that Mm. I started to recognize the similarities between domestic violence and dynamics of power and control within high control religion. And it Mm. was very hard for me to differentiate who said this. Was that my abusive partner? Was that God? Was that the version of God that I had been taught, the church leaders, things like that? So I was a therapist at the time already, and um, people started landing in my office. And uh, that were dealing with spiritual abuse. I wasn't advertising for it, but they they just kind of landed there. And I started to recognize some of the clinical symptoms of trauma. I was able to recognize dynamics of power and control. And um, in some ways, I was like, there was days where I was like one day ahead of my clients where it's like, oh my gosh, I just processed through that yesterday. And yeah, now, right. you know, here you are in my office today. Um but it was ultimately that and doing my own trauma healing that led me back into school to get my PhD um, and doing research around. I had to kind of narrow it down, um, healing from sexualized violence, which, of course, included purity culture, um, you know, because when you're in a doctoral program, it's like, oh, I want to research everything, but I've got to take a slice of that so I can actually graduate. That's what um, makes you a PhD, right? Yeah, you know something exactly. really well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was like, all right, I'm going to do what I have to do to to get to get my PhD. And it was funny because my book agent contacted me probably four or five months before I ha- was defending my my research, and I said, hey, here's the deal. I um. 
I, I got to get this done, but you can contact me on June 1st and we can have a conversation about writing a book. And the morning of June 1st, like, e- you know, email in the inbox. She's like, have you ever thought about writing a book on religious trauma? I was like, well, I am now. So, you know, that was yeah, a couple right. years ago and, and here we are. Um, but it's really the culmination of my own experience, my work with clients. Um, as you're well aware, you know, I, I would say probably 2016 marks a massive exodus out of a Huge. lot of high control religion. And with that was social media where people were able to start to have conversations and not feel so isolated. And yeah. that then led to a, an ex, a huge recognition that we need resources there. This is not just a bad church experience. This is not just a sinner with a perfect God, you know, and so you got to give them grace. There's, there's real harm that was being done and mm. people were needing to have good resources, not just being told like, hey, the way to get over this is become an atheist. Um, We needed people that understood trauma, that understood dynamics of power and control, and that understood that like, that maybe somebody wants to stay in their religious system or uh, adopt a new faith practice or spiritual tradition. And that that is an individual's choice and should not be determined by me as a therapist or a coach or anything like that. And so I really wanted to work on developing resources like that, training people and providing services that would kind of go along that, that line instead of just, yeah, become an atheist and then you'll be healed from religious trauma, which is very untrue for multiple reasons. So yeah. I, yeah, <laughs> oh, man. Um, first off, thank you for sharing that, that story with mm-hmm. us, you know, with me and the community who's listening to this. Um, I agree with you a lot. Um, you know, when I started TNE, I didn't know what I was walking into. I was still serving yeah. at evangelical <laughs> church. I was like, hey, anyone else like kind of frustrated and like concerned mm-hmm. about, you know, the, the typical the typical combination, right? The Trump, the Black Lives yes. Matter, the COVID response, mm-hmm. kind of like the unholy trinity that I think led at least to my um, moment where I thought, okay, whatever it, th- this basement of evangelicalism is so stinky. I need to get above mm. ground. Like I can't be yeah. in here anymore. Like I need better yeah. options. Right. Mm-hmm. Also though, atheism was never attractive to me. Not that I mm. think that atheism isn't a real thing or that people can't be atheists and live moral lives. I'm just saying for sure. me, it never made a lot of sense and it was never just a thing. Like I, mm-hmm. I, for some reason, the way my head's wired, Belief in, in in a God is not a hard concept for me. You know, I want to follow the way of Jesus. I affirm a physical resurrection, even though I don't know how that works. Like, I have no problem with that, right? Um, sure. And so atheism was just never an option. And mm-hmm. I feel like in this deconstruction explosion over the past few years, um, things have only gotten more complicated for me as I'm trying to parse out yeah. what's actually happening and what's not happening and how do we navigate this. So I'm, I'm glad I have you yes. on the show because- Mm-hmm. As someone who wrote a book on this and probably, well, not probably, most definitely knows a lot more about this topic than me <laughs> or probably most of the audience, I have questions for you. I have questions mm-hmm. that I need help answering. And All right. are, you well, are you willing to help me out on this one? I will certainly give it my best shot. How's that? <laughs> All right. That's fair. And if any of this, I'm sure it will, overlaps into the book, let us know so we mm-hmm. know that, hey, this is for more details, pick up the book and check it out. My my, my first my first thought is this: it, it's terminology, okay? Mm-hmm. Terms like mm-hmm. gaslighting, abuse, trauma, right? Real terms mm-hmm. that really affect a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I also hear these terms tossed around a lot on the internet, like a lot, a lot, right? Yes. Now, I want to mm-hmm. be careful and preface that it's never my job as the content creator or the or TNE's job. 
to say if someone's use of that term is the right way or not, especially mm-hmm. online, right? So if someone says, hey, I was gaslit by church leaders, we're going to believe you. I'm not going to say, sure. well, define gaslight, yeah. right? Okay, so that's mm-hmm. understood. However, one of my concerns is that I feel like whenever terms become used so often, they can get watered down. And then people who actually experience those things, their voices get a little more minimized than mm-hmm. maybe how, how, then maybe how they should be, right? Yeah. What, 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 mm-hmm. And the, the internet space is such a unique time for human history. We're trying to navigate yes. a new way of communicating, a new way of expressing ourselves in this digital medium that mm-hmm. takes away bodily proximity, right? Which is a huge yes. way that we are used to communicating. It's just mm-hmm. a lot of layers. Give me yeah. your thoughts on, on, on how people use these terms. One thing mm-hmm. I've heard of, and I'll, I would love your thoughts as you're giving me the response here is, and this has helped me a lot, separating the terms of an adverse religious experience versus a traumatic like religious experience. And there's maybe some separation yeah. there. That's helped me yeah. with how I describe my mm-hmm. own church hurt. Because I don't mm-hmm. feel like I was necessarily abused or even traumatized. I do mm-hmm. feel like though I had a very much an adverse religious experience. That's more powerful yeah. to me. I yeah. gave you a lot. Yeah. But what are some of your thoughts yeah. on this conversation? Okay, so a couple things. Um, First of all, um, I, as a clinician, do appreciate definitions of language, you know, where we have criteria for diagnoses and things like that. And uh, I think that the human experience goes beyond that. So that's not very clear and concrete. And yet, um, I think it's worth having a discussion about. So when we use terms like gaslighting, trauma bonding, things like that. I feel a deep desire to educate people and say, actually, okay, a a trauma bond isn't that you've bonded over your traumatic experiences. A trauma bond is that you are bonded to your abuser who continuously abuses Mm. you, but tells you it's love. That's actually a trauma bond, which for a lot of people describes their relationship to the church, to a pastor, and maybe even to the version of God that they've been taught about. That's a trauma bond. And I go, when we have an accurate understanding of what that is, it actually does help us organize our experiences. It helps us understand what happened to us as well as perhaps the areas that we need support and connection and resources to be able to heal, to be able to kind of live in a more liberated way or to live more authentically. Now, I'm not somebody who's going to like go look up the word trauma bond on Instagram and go comment on every single person's right. post who doesn't use it Actually, correctly. Like, yeah, it's, it's this, right? As a PhD, <laughs> yeah. let me just educate yeah. you, right? Yeah, no, I feel like it's Yeah, okay. Yeah, so it's it's that balance. And I will say, so I, I have a podcast called The Sunday School Dropouts, and we do an entire episode episode about some of these really common terms that we uh, hear on social media, things like trauma bonding, spiritual bypassing, narcissistic abuse, gaslighting. And we talk through like, what is that actually? And why is it important to know what that is? The other piece of it is a lot of us are coming out of systems where we were told that here is what is true, or this is what this definition is. And it isn't. And, and, Mm. And we're having to relearn a lot of different things or learn for the first time a lot of different things. And so I do feel like I want to give you accurate information because we're so used to being fed inaccurate information that I don't want to be one more source of that. 
that. So hundred, yes, exactly. Yeah. So there's that piece. Then when we shift over to what you're talking about with like adverse religious experiences, religious or spiritual abuse and trauma, I think it's very important to understand the differences between those things as well as how they all can connect together in a lot of cases but not every case. Um, And so the little quippy thing that I often say that kind of people latch onto and they'll go like, oh, that, that helps me understand this is trauma is not the thing that happens to us, but it's the way that our body or our nervous system responds to the thing that happens to us or it's the result of what happens to us. So that means abuse, including a bit of religious abuse and adverse religious experiences are not equated to trauma but they can result in trauma. However, they don't have to. Adverse Mm. religious experiences could result in a whole slew of different things that may or may not be trauma. It could result in a lot of um, hypervigilance, OCD, anxiety, depression, relational issues, you know, social phobias, things like that, um, and trauma. Um, And so I think it's important to recognize that trauma is anything that's too much, too fast, too soon. It kind of overwhelms our ability to cope and come back to a place of safety. And that's going to be very subjective for each person. So what is too much, too fast, too soon for you may or may not be for me and vice versa. And how how that kind of lands in our bodies is going to be very different. It's very subjective from person to person. Now, in that little quippy definition, trauma is not the thing that happened to you. We go, okay, so the thing could be religious abuse or spiritual abuse or an adverse religious experience. And I think it's important to understand those as well. I appreciate what you said about, gosh, like the abuse that didn't that didn't land on me like that doesn't resonate with what my experience is but adverse religious experience seems to better capture how i might kind of talk about what it is that i've gone through and that's really the reason that we created that term um it's a term that myself and my colleague and friend Brian Peck we are the co-founders of the religious trauma institute we came up with that along with um the reclamation collective and oh yeah they're great they're friends of ours yeah Yes, yes, very much so. Mine as well. Um, and so we went early Saturday morning, we were up, you know, sitting with our coffee trying to hash out religious trauma and how do we how do we talk about this with people? And we coined that term because we realized that like a lot of our clients really didn't uh, identify with a spiritual or religious abuse as a way to describe what it was that they had experienced. And I think there's a bit of a cultural and colloquial piece that goes along with that. Oftentimes when we hear the term religious or spiritual abuse, we're automatically assuming something like clergy sexual abuse um, or very kind of overt, over the top, in your face, you know, ritualistic abuse, things like that. And people would be like, that is not my experience at all. And yet they go, hey, this belief, this doctrine, this practice really had an impact on me. Um, it really shaped the way that I saw myself or the world or how I interact with others or how I move through the world. And and even definition-wise, that may not actually fit into a definition of abuse. And so having that term of AREs or adverse religious experiences has been really helpful for people to say, hey... Uh, this thing happened to me and and it was adverse. It was it was something that has caused significant 
harm or at least something I've had to really navigate through uh, as I'm coming out of religious spaces or doctrines, things like that. Yeah, this is helpful because you're right. When I hear the term abuse, I do think of like, how my brain thinks about abuse, like some kind of physical violence or sexual violence or Mm -hmm. an ultra almost cult-like level of of control over its members, Mm -hmm. right? So -hmm. when I hear someone say, hey, I was, my church was abusive. I think, oh my God, like, were you, you know, as punishment forced into a closet for like four hours a day or like, you know, I just think something Mm -hmm. real extreme like that, right? And then I think about, okay, I want to make sure and this is just me talking out loud, processing this with you. I want to make sure mm-hmm. that for the people who that kind of stuff has happened to, which is that yeah. that's that has happened mm-hmm. to people in church before, mm-hmm. right? Like things like that have happened. Yeah. I want yeah. I want that term reserved for people who really need to be able to say, yeah. I was abused and here's what happened to me, as opposed mm-hmm. to someone like myself who in my story is long story short, my church gave me an ultimatum to either stop serving with them as a drummer, um, as a volunteer drummer, or stop doing yeah. this work. I had, I had to make a choice, yeah. right? Okay, yeah. was that yeah. really painful? And did it put me back in therapy? Mm-hmm. I, had, I, had, I had to navigate all of my anger. Yeah. Absolutely. Was, was yeah. my church abusing me for six years and then like beat me over the head with something? No. And so I don't want to mm-hmm. claim that I was abused by my church when in reality, mm-hmm. we got to a point where they had a conviction that I thought was ridiculous and they gave me an ultimatum that, that yeah. I thought was unrealistic. That really did affect me yeah. for sure. It hurt. But I don't, yes. I don't want to call it to the same level of my pastor mm-hmm. was sexually assaulting me for four years. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like that's how I Absolutely. think about it. And yeah. so because of yeah. that, I think that other term, ARE, has been helpful mm-hmm. at least for me to be like, okay, yeah, something did happen to me. But also, mm-hmm. I, I recognize that other people have had it much more severely. That has caused them a mm-hmm. much deeper level of, of a physical yeah. bodil, bodily reaction to mm-hmm. these kinds of things. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I, I'm always careful because I never want to compare, oh, you this is worse than mine, mine is worse than yours, whatever. That almost right. always leads to a lot of shame and disconnection. Mm. And yet, I do think it's important to acknowledge that in most cases, certain things are going to have more of an impact than other yeah. things. So you go, yeah, if I'm if I'm sexually abused by the member by a member of the clergy, the likelihood of that having a greater impact and even resulting in trauma, research wise, and we have research to back this up, is right. much greater than perhaps somebody that was scolded by a teacher in Sunday school and said, I can't believe you don't know that Bible verse. Now could that experience have produced immense amounts of shame and kind of lived in somebody's body in a real, in a way that caused a lot of negative impact? Absolutely. But is it as likely that that, that, that singular experience might result in trauma um, as compared to say clergy sexual abuse? Probably not. Right. So I think it yeah. is important to recognize like, we don't want to compare. And yet we also can say like, there is oftentimes a greater likelihood that the result will be maybe like more significant in like a negative way when certain things happen. And that's yeah. something that is, is definitely found in research. That makes sense. I, I, I think another point that you made that I want to piggyback off of and have you kind of respond to it is I think that and I'm going to use I'm using me as an example because I don't want to read it to anyone else's sure. church situation that I don't know about friends. Okay, that's why I'm talking mm-hmm. about my experience here just so we can have some kind of baseline. Yeah. But I think one of my concerns is as I've been rethinking, right, my evangelical 
heritage and just my relationship to it, depending on the level of maybe um, anger I was feeling that day or what part I was focusing on really makes me feel one way or another, right? And so mm-hmm. I've been trying to realize that the reality is while my relationship to some of the religious identities I was given, like to Calvinism, for example, right? That, hey, God's just predestining some people for heaven yes. and most to hell. That's a loving mm-hmm. God. Yeah, that theology has really caused a lot of damage in my brain that I had to redo, right? Mm-hmm. Do mm-hmm. I think though that the pastors who preached that were abusing me? Mm-hmm. No, because they were more than just a one-dimensional caricature of Calvinism, right? Like they really sure. thought that they were helping me understand God's word. They were very kind people. The church that I grew up in gave me a platform to start drumming, right? That I, mm-hmm. you know, where, where, where I cut my teeth, and a lot of people listened to really shitty drumming for a lot of years, right? And I had, <laughs> I had people in my in my memory now who I still think about who were, were my Sunday school teachers who gave me you know little snacks who just were very kind people. So mm-hmm. I have a hard time in my brain as I, as I rethink more and more about my, my about the full complexity of what I went through. Mm-hmm. Was it all good or all quote unquote abuse? For me, I can't say it was. It was mm-hmm. a hodgepodge, right? And some things yeah. were really beautiful and people made room for mm-hmm. me. And other things mm-hmm. like, like the theology and maybe some of the leadership was really unhelpful and mm-hmm. set me up for a later disaster of just a mental health crisis, right? Of like, oh my God, this version of God I've been given does not make sense anymore. I Mm -hmm. think it's difficult to express all that online. So Mm -hmm. I can be like kind of, you know, depending on the mood or whatever video I'm watching, oh, this is part of the abusive problem. Or hey, look, here's some good that's happening. Mm -hmm. It's not all as bad as you think. So I kind of go back and forth in my head around like that dichotomy too, of calling something entirely abusive or something entirely Mm -hmm. good. Yeah. So the two thoughts to that, and I actually speak to both of these points in my book, is that there there is a difference between abusive behaviors and then patterns of abuse. And oh, and good. the other piece that we need to like uh, consider is that abuse is sometimes a culturally defined thing. So there's many mm. different cultures, whether that is different parts of the world or at different times of, of the world's existence that have engaged in practices that are considered culturally normal for, for that culture that other cultures would look at and say, that's very abusive, right? And yeah. so we do have to factor that in because I think what is true is that there's a lot of things that happen inside high control religions that are considered part of that culture that the outside world would say that's highly abusive and inside that place that is called loving or graceful or, you know, long suffering or things like that. So it isn't as cut and dry as this is abuse and this is not abuse. Like there's other factors that we have to take into account. Now, the other piece to that is I believe as humans, we are all capable of engaging in abusive behavior. And I would say probably all of us have, you know, when you think about if I am, if I am screaming at somebody, accusing them of things or whatever, that could very much be considered verbal abuse. And yet the difference, I think, or one of the differences between engaging in an abusive behavior versus patterns of abuse is going, if I'm made aware of this, hey, Laura, that's like extremely abusive, what you're doing and what you're saying. Um, That's extremely hurtful to this person or whatever. And my response is, oh my gosh, I am so sorry. I've got to not only um, amend, uh, you know, figure out a way to make amends with that person, but I've got to figure out how to change that in myself so that that's not my response. 
that would, I would say, okay, that that's an abusive behavior kind of we can, when we work on that, when we maybe figure out the origin of it, maybe whatever kind of the context is around that. And we go, okay, that does not necessarily mean I'm an abusive person. When we look at patterns of abuse, we're going, hey, this is something that it almost becomes like part of who they are, where this is just how yes. they react or how they treat people. Or if right. they're made aware of it, they really don't care. Um, and there are a lot of, um, you know, places and people in this world that really do have this idea of like, I'm up here, everybody else is down here. Totally. And it doesn't matter what I do or say uh, to to other people, so long as we keep this dynamic of I'm up here, you're down there, I'm valued, you are devalued. So I do think that's, that is an important thing. The other thing that is really important to recognize, and, and this is something I talk about in my book, but also is one of like kind of the eye-opening things when I started to understand dynamics of power and control, is that very similar to um, domestically violent relationships, it yeah. isn't ever all good or all bad. You know, um, getting into those spaces of power and control where somebody or some bodies have power and control over other per another person or people like it doesn't start in an overt way. I always say like if you walked into a church and they were like you will give us 10% of your income, you will discontinue all relationships with people outside of this group, you must dress like this, talk like this, you can't listen to your music anymore, all these and like set forth all of these rules right at the beginning. The likelihood that you would go back to that church in a, most cases is pretty low. You're like, no, right. I, I don't want to be in a space where somebody is that controlling of me. Right. But that's not usually how it starts. And that's not right. how it, a domestically violent relationship starts. They don't start by going on the first date and flipping over the table and cussing out the server and, you know, that sort of thing. It actually is usually a very pleasant experience where you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm getting this need for connection met. I feel like I'm I'm known and understood things like that. And so when we look yeah. at dynamics of power and control, there are periods of time that are at the beginning and that we can come back to that we go, this was really awesome. This was meeting some very felt normal human needs of connection and identity and support and community and a higher purpose and all of these things. And right. And that's what draws us into it. And usually those dynamics of control come slowly over time where it's like, hey, you know, God says this. You really shouldn't dress that way because you're going to make your brothers in Christ stumble. And you're like, mm. oh, gosh, you know what? Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So I, I start wearing these things over here rather than this over here. And on its own, we look at these little things as quote unquote little or benign. And right. the 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 thing is when we start stacking them on top of each other, that's where we start to see like, oh wow, I don't have a sense of autonomy anymore. I I can't show up in these ways or have these opinions. I'm very similar to what you're experiencing. You're like, Hey, I started this thing online and all of a sudden they're like, Nope, you, you choose, you do that or you're with us. And, mm -hmm. and those are systems of control where it's going, we get to be the determiners of what you do as well as the consequences. If you don't follow.
What is up? This is Trip from the Homebrewed Christianity Podcast, and I am pumped to tell you about Project Amplify. That is something that the new evangelicals are up to. It's a new endeavor. And guess what? I've been a longtime supporter of TNE, and when I heard about Project Amplify, I'm like, oh, junk. That sounds great. Why? Why? Well, when Christianity shows up in the public square, I usually have a hard time associating its content with, I don't know, what Jesus said and did and endured and testified to in the one he called Abba. Well, if you want people that are deeply engaged in communicating in our current medium and you want to support it so that, so I don't know, maybe what pops up in your algorithm doesn't make you want to hurl and call Jesus and say, hey, hey, you need some new PR then uh, maybe you should be a member. Support what's going on at Project Amplified. I'm excited about it, so check it out. Okay, let's talk about about this term high control religion. Is that what you're, is that what you're calling it? Yes. Or, or what, what the term yeah. is? Okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is ambiguous. Granted. Um, how do you define such a thing, like, like maybe a better way of asking that is, where, what are some of the ingredients that go into what you would call a high control religious you know environment? And then also, yes. and this might be kind of a weird question, but I'm wondering, are there lines of like what it's what people can tolerate in those environments and still find flourishing, right? Like for example, right? Sure. My my previous church, they had some rules or some guidelines that they were transparent about, but I wasn't mm-hmm. maybe on board with, but I didn't mind following. Like, hey, sure. um, if you're going to be a drummer here, you can't drink publicly at least, you know, because it's part of like our thing. Sure. Like, okay, like, listen, mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I'm not a big drinker anyway, but if, if, if part of the agreement is I don't post me drinking beer online, <laughs> fine, no problem, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. Or um, and maybe another one might be like hey we if you're going to be a drummer here uh we also want you attending services when 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 you're not scheduled to play because we want Mm -hmm. you part of the community Mm -hmm. okay yeah i can do that no problem so Mm -hmm. i mean those things could be seen in after everything happens to me right i look back oh Mm -hmm. and they didn't want me drinking online and i had to attend services and i had Mm -hmm. but but in the context like i fully consented to those things being being done because it was a give and take and i didn't mind playing ball right Mm -hmm. like they're an institution they have some rules for me, mm-hmm. the juice is worth the squeeze. No problem. Sure. So are yeah. is it are there ways that like people can flourish in some of these environments as long as they don't become mm-hmm. whatever you might think is the tipping point of ah, maybe at this point now your human autonomy is really mm-hmm. getting like overwritten here. How do you see yeah. that? So I think um so I will be honest, I don't have a succinct definition for this is what a high control religion is because Dang it, I think Laura, that, come on, that's, that's why I, I have you on the podcast. I need binaries, but black and white. <laughs> I do have a really good chart in the back oh, of my shoot. book. Look at yeah. that. So, I'm yes. pull, wait, I'm pulling so, it up. I'm going to look. Yep. Yep. Okay. So this is for those of you I who I, I don't know if this is on video. Okay. So it's kind of this like circular um this, oh, this is good. chart. Okay. And it's called the religious yeah. power and control wheel. And it has eight different boxes on it. And each box kind of, um, is a different category of a dynamic of power or control. And then it gives several examples of what that might mean. So for instance, so the categories are isolation, minimizing, denying, and blaming emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, threats, accusations, and intimidation, economic control, sexuality, and gender defining and loss of autonomy. So I do want to say that I'm sure there are many other categories, but this is kind of some of the big ones that I've seen. And then we look under that and we go, okay, so isolation, this could be things like 
cutting off relationships with people outside the system, information control, asking for or reporting uh, where time or money was spent, increased levels of commitment to the system's activities, devaluing people not in the religious systems, fear Mm. or propaganda regarding motives of people outside the system. So we look at that and we go, okay, that helps me further define when I start to see some of these things, that might be an indicator that this could be a high control environment. One of the best ways, though, that I think that it can be that we go, is this a high control group? Is this not? Is what happens when you try to leave or when you express disagreement or a sense of autonomy? Right. So if I say, hey, I'm not really sure, like, how did how do we get to this conclusion? And they're immediately like, because God said so. Don't you don't mm. ask those questions or we we question your salvation or something. We go. Hmm, that that's interesting. I need to I need to right. take note Noted. of that. Yeah. Yes, yes. Or um I I t- uh use it I mentioned this in the book, um Scientology, which they consider themselves a religion. Um if you leave the system, if you leave that group, they can uh employ a tactic called fair gaming. So in in their world, if you leave, you are fair game for whatever behaviors befall you, including the ones that they do to you. So if you've watched, you know, Leah Remini or Mike Rinder's stories where they are having people follow them, make accusations, call places of employment, all these things. And the church would say, well, that's just, you knew what you signed up for. We get to, we get to do this to you and whatever, you know, because you've left our system. Now, a lot of evangelical churches won't say that, but they will say, if you leave, our protective covering is gone. We are giving you up right. to the devil. And so whatever right. happens, happens, right? Um, or, or they we call also it see an, ca- an accountability yeah. yes. group. <laughs> they sure do. Not or they that I would take know anything off. about yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or there's a, there's a lot of coffee dates that are tried to be yeah, planned to try to get you back dates. in, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, yeah. so we look at that and we go, okay, uh, again, we need to note that. Like, what what is that about? Now, there's a difference between somebody going, God, I really miss you. And I, I want to understand Totally. why it is that that you've made these choices or can we have these conversations versus the coffee date that says i'm really concerned about your salvation because you're not going to our church anymore totally. that's that's very different right so and, and then the other yeah. thing is like looking at like hey if i show up uh in a way that is not maybe traditional in the church how is that responded to am i required to change so you know like a a really silly example might be like we wear our you know sunday best right we are dressed to the nines and maybe somebody comes in in like athletic wear are they are they shamed for that are they told you know what you really can't come back unless you're dressed this way um you know or this is you know god god really desires and deserves our best. And so that has to be reflected in your clothes. Again, note that. So yeah, yeah, so that's sometimes the ways that I'll say like, let's, let's look at some of those things. And that helps us further define, is this a group that is a high control group or maybe not? I love that because you're giving people maybe some different lenses to look at things through to determine if their Mm -hmm. situation, which is not anyone else's might be for Mm -hmm. them unhealthy or not. Right. Because you're Mm -hmm. right. A static definition how do you apply that to billions of unique church or religious experiences, right? You really can't. One size doesn't fit Mm -hmm. all. But if there are some ingredients that can be mixed and matched in all different kinds of ways, you can use that 
to determine, okay, is this, is this place really healthy for, for me or not? Yeah. I like yeah. that a lot. I think that's really healthy. I think that that's really good. I, I think that um, it's just one thought I had as you were talking was the reality that broadly speaking, of course, there's always nuance to this, but broadly mm-hmm. speaking, I think a lot of us who grew up in these mainly white evangelical churches were never really given the tools to learn how to, to how, how to use wisdom or how to use discernment, right? It was all about yeah. kind of black and white mm-hmm. binaries. Or if the term mm-hmm. discernment was used, it was used in like a prophetic charismatic sense, yes. right? Not in like a yes. critical thinking sense. And so once we kind of come out of that, and we're in this no man's land where maybe we're not mm-hmm. atheists. That's not really our thing, but we're above yeah. ground in the Christian house looking around and we're not really ready to, ready to go back to a church yet. We mm-hmm. realize that we're so anemic with how we, how we are taught to yeah. like make wise decisions because it was all kind of spoon fed for us. Right. Yeah. So I think part right. of the challenge for a lot of people can be, wow, these eight or nine things that you gave are really helpful. I've mm-hmm. never I've never learned to walk, let alone run the marathon that I need to start running to make this Mm -hmm. all happen the right way. Right. And so I think that that can be a huge challenge for people just learning, like you said, to trust their intuition for the first time. Mm -hmm. And even then, right. Sometimes my intuition isn't always right. I've made mistakes where I trust my intuition. I look back back and I go, Ooh, that wasn't wise. Right. So Mm -hmm. again, it's not the other extreme of whatever I always think is always correct, but you've come out of such an extreme of, you can never trust yourself. How do you yes. start learning, right, to make mm-hmm. more informed decisions that hopefully lead to your flourishing in the flourishing of people mm-hmm. around you? I think that's mm-hmm. what makes this situation, especially mm-hmm. for people who are new to this term deconstruction or who are mm-hmm. out of these high control environments for the first time. I think that, that that's what makes them feel so overwhelmed, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, I've never had to walk mm-hmm. on my own. How do I even start the baby steps? Does yes. that make sense? Yeah, it does. One of the the things I talk about in the book, and I actually talk about this a bit on in my online kind of world as well. I call it fundamentalist yeah. hopping, uh, where we kind of hop from one fundamentalist group to another, even if yes. it's not necessarily connected to a religion. And yes. part of that is because of exactly what you've described. So we're coming out of these environments where we, like I said, we are taught what to think, not how to think. And so when we get out of those environments, even if we've done a lot of Uh, cognitive deconstruction, we still don't have like legs necessarily to stand on to know how (laughs) to tap into wisdom and choice and, and things like that. And what that kind of means on a physiological level is that that can actually send us into a state of panic because even though we're like, yeah, I don't, I'm so glad that that's not how I'm living anymore. The, the unfamiliarity then of being in the world is oftentimes so overwhelming that we actually do start looking around to say, okay, who has the loudest voice or who's kind of telling me the steps that I'm supposed to live by. And I, we gravitate towards those groups because that gives us a sense of certainty. Okay, this person said, here's how I'm supposed to live. Or this group says, here's the social justice cause that I'm supposed to get back behind. And if I do that, then I'm a good person, or I'm living the right way, or if I vote this way, or if I am really impassioned about this issue, or I, you know, decry all these other issues. And so what we end up doing is kind of kind of hopping from one fundamentalist group to another looking for, okay, if I just follow this set of rules, that I'm good, I'm safe, I'm connected, I'm all of these things. And, um, and I think that I I just want to kind of normalize that in the sense of, 
it's very common. Um, yes. But it's not necessarily the healthiest. Um, and right. so I, I'm a big fan of, first of all, if at all possible, to go as slow as you need to. <laughs> um, most people are like, I'm going to cannonball into this and I'm going to just, you know, kind of like immersion by fire or, you know, I'm going to just start doing all these things and whatever. That oftentimes becomes very overwhelming. But like I, when I work with my clients, you know, they'll be like, I don't, I don't even know what my favorite color is. And we might start with simple things like that, where I might say, you know, go to a coffee shop and just notice what do you want? You know, like, okay, yeah, you have your drink that you always get. But if you look at the whole menu, what do you right. want? What sounds yeah. good? And, yeah. and you know, you or I might go like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah, I want this. And, and so I'm going to get that. But for somebody who's never had choice or who's never even been able to tune into themselves to say, what do I actually want? Mm. What sounds good to me? Yeah. That's actually yeah. a really big deal. And so I'm a big fan of starting to learn how to have a sense of self, which includes wisdom and intuition by doing what I would consider relatively meaningless or neutral tasks where it's like, okay, if I get this coffee, like I might hate it and I'm, I'm out five bucks, but the world is not going to end and I'm, there's not going to be many repercussions other than not having that $5 and not getting my hit of caffeine. Well, maybe the world will end for that reason, but you know, that's a different conversation. Yeah, um, totally. But it's, a, it's this recognition that if we can start to make small steps in ways that don't feel as big or overwhelming in terms of the potential consequence, that helps us start to then get back into or develop a sense of self to say that this is who I am. This is, you know, what I want. This is, you know, what I believe. And it's because I believe it, not because this group has told me I have to believe yeah. it or, it, or yeah. because it's the exact opposite of what I've been taught. That's not actually freedom either <laughs> to just only do the opposite. <laughs> That's prescriptive well, as well. That makes a lot of sense. And I agree. You know, we say often that we don't want to become fundamentalists all over again. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. Because we left fundamentalism behind no matter what yes. form it takes. Now, of course, mm -hmm. you have to be careful with that. And, and some things you should be pretty, you know, yes. emphatic on, right? When of it comes course, to human rights, yeah. et cetera. But when it comes mm -hmm. to like how we navigate this stuff in and how we talk about it, it can be easy to go from one binary to another, right? Oh, Absolutely. it was all abusive. Mm -hmm. Oh, this new thing is all mm -hmm. good and perfect. And there's no problems ever yeah. because I'm not that thing anymore, right? It's like, well, mm -hmm. that might not be healthy long-term either. One of my questions I wanted to ask you is, okay, so high religious control or these environments, at the same time, not maybe, maybe, not maybe that way, but how, how, how do you, in your mind, maintain groups or organizations that are centered on certain things, right? And do need people mm -hmm. in a way to kind of work together on something which could include compromise of maybe certain yeah. preferences or or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. them. And while simultaneously making room for each other without being labeled like a high control environment, right? So yeah. like maybe one yeah. example is that TNE as a digital organization and some kind of community thing that we're working through, we're like, listen, mm -hmm. you can be in our Facebook group. You can we have a pretty wide tolerance for mm -hmm. what you can and can't say. But you can't mm -hmm. dehumanize people. Like if you start calling people assholes sure. and start making fun of someone's physical attributes, I don't care who they are. Mm -hmm. I don't care if it's Trump. I don't care if it's this pastor that you, that you used to know. Mm -hmm. It's just a no-go. Like it's it's a non-negotiable, mm -hmm. right? So that'd mm -hmm. be like a value that we're asking people to yes. say, hey, whether you yep. see it this way or not, this is a value that you need to embrace and to respect mm -hmm. while you're here. 
is that mm-hmm. like a high control thing versus like, you know, what we're talking about? And then how do groups form around something that, that is beyond mm-hmm. them without being caught mm-hmm. in that? Like, well, I'm giving up my autonomy or my identity or yeah. I feel like I am anyway. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I would say, first of all, like using that example of, you know, TNE, there's a lot of transparency before somebody even says, yeah, this is a, a, a Facebook group, for instance, that I want to be right. a part of. You say, hey, here's the guidelines of this group. And so, yeah, here's what is okay. And here's what is not okay. And so if you want to join this group, what you're telling us is that you're agreeing to to the okay list, right? To, to not dehumanizing right. people. And so if you engage in these behaviors where, like you said, I'm calling somebody an asshole, well, we have something that we can come back to and say, hey, do you remember those those rules that you agreed to that you're not living up to them? So we've got a couple choices here. We can try again. You can leave the group. We can come up with a remediation plan, whatever it might be. But part of it is that you have been transparent at the very beginning. There's many, many high control religions, cults, things like that, that are very non-transparent. So they kind of sell you this bill of goods. Here's what we are. But then it's almost like, like bait and switch where you get into it. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, not only was that not part of what was sold, but it's like what the group is actually about is kind of, again, going back to that dynamic of power and control, like that slow fade of like all of a sudden, it's like I'm taken over by these rules and there's not a lot of escape. And so the transparency part is very, very important. I also think, you know, when we look at say like a Facebook group or a social justice cause or a high control religion. We also need to look at like, again, what are the consequences for leaving? And in a high control religion or a cult, oftentimes the consequences are twofold, where it is complete cutoff from the group. Oftentimes there's rules that are put around, like you may not even speak to this person anymore. They are dangerous. There can sometimes be like cancellation campaigns, things like that, Mm. where there is a lot of um, just like withdrawal and trying to isolate that person. On top of that, we're looking at eternal consequences. So there's many people in a high control religion that they go, if you decide to leave this group, you're going to hell. You're burning forever. Right. right. And so, and that would be something where you go, okay, that we need to <laughs> be nice if people were transparent about that. I mean, but then they wouldn't get many people joining the group. Like, okay, you can right. leave, but then you're going to hell. Like, so yeah. I think that that's part of like when we go, hey, you know, yeah, because. Because there's many wonderful groups, you know, where it's like, yeah, we 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 fight for this cause or we all enjoy this activity and we can, you know, whatever. And so I would I would look at, you know, what is the transparency level like? What are the consequences for leaving? Um, are the rules such where it's re- you're being required to kind of fragment or cut off parts of yourself and being told that those things are bad, evil, sinful, and, you know, you're needing to be punished if you engage in that. Um, I think those are things we have to look. It's not necessarily cut and dry again, like here's the good group rules. Here's how a bad group, you know, we have to look at some different kind of uh, concepts like transparency, you know, disagreement, things like that. Uh, Yeah. Hmm. 
Okay. Well, we have a few minutes left. I want to. I want to. Last topic I, I want to address. Let's talk about the online space for a minute. Let's talk about this whole <laughs> thing we're trying to navigate. Right, this yes. online world that is, man, mm-hmm. um, it can be very complicated and a lot of opinions and a lot of just mm-hmm. text-based communication, which especially when, when we're working with people or us ourselves are experiencing some kind of you know, um, reaction to something that happened in our personal life can really Mm -hmm. influence how we interpret other text messages, how we, how we respond, Mm -hmm. et cetera. I, I, one of the questions I've always kind of wondered, and I feel like I, I can ask you this is how you think about like this, this weird tension of a lot of accounts, a lot of places in in this deconstruction explosion, right. Kind of popped up and like, Hey, tell us your stories, Mm -hmm. right. So we can hold space Mm -hmm. for Person A who could say, yes, I've been abused by my church. Mm-hmm. Some people would say it was sexual abuse. Some say maybe it was gaslighting or it was you know, some kind of high control. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And that's really good, right? I think, man, mm-hmm. if there's one positive thing out of this, it's that people who have usually had their voices marginalized by powerful people suddenly had an outlet to say, look, my story yes. is getting out there. My story is being mm-hmm. amplified. My pastor can't control the narrative. I can actually share mm-hmm. the truth. I mean, one example that comes to mind, yes. this is uh, this was a video that was shared a couple of years, maybe a year ago, there was a video shared of a pastor who gets up on stage and admits that he had an affair like seven or eight years ago. And then mm. the woman and her husband get up on stage and she confronts him saying, I was a minor and you slept with me on the floor of your office. And this is in front of the whole wow. congregation, right? And it was a moment where I realized it was like it was almost like a physical um, um, representation of so often what happens online and what happens in these churches. Pastors will create a narrative. Hey, I Mm -hmm. sinned. I had an affair. But they don't mention the other part, right, that like this person was a minor or that that there was abuse involved. And so the online space has become a place where people like that woman can say, actually, Mm -hmm. that's not the full story. You know, it was not Mm -hmm. consensual. It was not this. That's really freaking yeah. important. I want to highlight how yes. key that is, right? It's huge. So key. Huge. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and with that comes along, I think maybe one of the deficiencies of the online space just by nature is helping mm-hmm. those people actually work through what happened to them to get them back mm-hmm. to a place where they can continue on their human flourishing journey, right? Yeah. And so I struggle yeah. with this because- I like I said, really important needs to happen. Our Facebook community, tons of stories from people, mm-hmm. right? That's great. Yeah. Also, I know for a fact, not only are we a as an organization not equipped to handle how to navigate that and help people work through that, but B, the online space, the physical actual mm-hmm. space between me and that person makes it virtually impossible, even if I was qualified to do that, right? Mm-hmm. How do yeah. people yes. who maybe have no community in person, mm-hmm. they are furious they're angry rightfully so over what happened to them they are venting about it online a lot as they should what are the tools how do they navigate their own process right to get Mm -hmm. to a point where one day while they don't forget about it or even not mention it anymore they still do but they look at it through Mm -hmm. a lens of wow that was Mm -hmm. life-changing and terrible and now i'm in Mm -hmm. this spot where i can help others get through that painful process how do you what's your recommendation to that 
What are your thoughts? I know it's yeah. a lot, but like I'm, I'm trying to paint the it's, picture. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So um, it's funny. I I always say like when people ca- get to my account, um, like I'm the unsexy account. I, <laughs> I, I talk about the deeper stuff. I talk about exactly what you're talking about. I don't, um, my, my, I would not consider my account a deconstruction account. I consider mine a trauma education, you know, looking at kind of some different aspects a little bit deeper. That's not to discount deconstruction accounts because that is incredibly important. Oftentimes, the first step in anybody's healing is starting to be accurate and honest about what happened to them, which almost always brings forth anger because we're like, oh my God, I see what happened through this new lens and this is not okay. So that anger is incredibly important. It starts to empower us. It starts to let us know that something bad did happen that that it shouldn't have that we should have been able to have access to protection or support or whatever it may have been the quote-unquote problem and i don't mean this like even on a global level is that we can't sustain that anger forever like that that's unsustainable right because it's this high level of activation where we're constantly in fight or flight and the thing is is that What's going on in our world, whether it's directly related to religious systems or not, can constantly activate that. Like we live in a world where there is constantly things going on. And so oftentimes that's where I say then people land on my page because they're like, I can't do this anymore. I need I need something else. And that's where I think we look at what I would start to consider like the trauma resolution process. And again, I want to be careful because not everybody coming out of religion is traumatized. I don't think that religion inherently causes mental health disorders. It certainly can. Um, But it's not, I I think it's very unhealthy to say that it unequivocally does. Um, And so I think that's where we have to look at like how then what do I need? What's my own kind of path or treatment plan of healing? And in a lot of cases, I'm, I'm, I would say if you can get a therapist or a coach or somebody, that would be ideal. But I know that that's not always accessible to people for a myriad of reasons. Um, But I think starting to understand things like the nervous system and how does how does all of those experiences and those messages, how does that actually live in our bodies and what can we do to um, resolve that so that it doesn't feel so active and living? And are there places where I might be able to find more targeted support? So it's like, okay, yeah, I started off with a more general kind of deconstruction group, but I'm going to find some online support around the specific thing that I'm looking to heal. Maybe that's an online support group. Maybe it's an online educational group around something more specific where it's not necessarily about uh, getting the anger out, but it is about being able to share my story in a more, I might use the word therapeutic way, um, where where I can um, I can start to notice like, oh, hey, when I tell my story, here's some of the other things happening in my body. Here's some of the other things yeah. that are coming up for me. Um, yeah. And it, it sounds weird, but it's like it's it's moving from this fast paced anger, get it all out, kind of slowing it down to to and to really be reflective and thoughtful and understanding of the embodied piece of it, so that we can actually kind of work it through. Because then, when we do that, we have the choice of 
do I want to help other people? Um, it's very hard to help other people when we are constantly in a state of crisis ourselves. I would actually 100%. say it's probably impossible. Um, and, and I've seen many people in online spaces that have been quote unquote leaders that other people have looked to them to help them navigate this process of deconstruction and they are deeply unhealthy themselves. And it's coming out in this, you know, this big way, this activated way, and it's actually activating other people. And it's not until we kind of slow things down and get back into our bodies and understand how it's living inside us that we can actually then resolve that and then decide like is this is this an area where i even want to help people <laughs> like maybe right. i'm tired of this like i don't yes. i don't want to go back into it and other people would yeah. say like myself we're like you know what yeah like this is something i want to do um i want to show up in a in a way that i can be a support to others you're doing that as well um but that's not necessarily coming from this uh proselytizing place where you're just trying to you know get people to join a new cause that you can be the pastor of it's coming from right. this place of going i see woundedness. I, I see people hurting and I think I have something that I can give them from a healthy space yeah. in me versus yeah. an activated space. I yeah. think that's really health. I think it's really helpful and really good. And, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people, there are quite a few accounts who, when I first started this work, were doing the deconstruction thing. And a lot of them stopped, not for anything, re- for anything bad. Yeah. They just said, you know what? I got it out of my system. I did it. I vented. I said what I needed to say. Yes. I want to go back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. I want to continue on with my degree. That's not not related at all yeah. to religion, right? That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. I will tell yeah. you personally, when everything happened with my church, I was pretty new to TNE and mm-hmm. I was really angry. I mean, one time I was sure. talking to my therapist over this and I said, I was like, I was screaming at just my, my, un, yeah. my, my raw, unfiltered, like how hurt I was over what happened, losing all my mm-hmm. friends, losing this stuff only over a couple of things that, 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 yeah. that they didn't see the same way. Right. And my wife, mm-hmm. even she was like, you said fuck a lot in that session, Tim. I'm like, I know I said fuck a lot. I was really <laughs> angry. Like I was really angry. And I, I think now that I'm almost three years into TND. It's the first time where I can start looking back even from the, from that point, yeah. right? Okay, where was I in the beginning or when this first mm-hmm. happened? And I think that for what happened to me, I navigated that as best as I could. I don't think it was as of bad course. as it could have been. But, mm-hmm. but I did catch myself at some point saying, okay, this anger is a powerful tool. It can be a mm-hmm. motivator to do a lot of good or yes. you can yes. stay stagnant and become you can become very bitter. And then you, yeah. you can become the very thing that you swore you'd never be, become again, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. I had to make a choice of like, okay, how am I going to navigate this? And how am I going to utilize my mm-hmm. rage and anger um, in a pub- more public way in the sense of what I do online right. without mm-hmm. becoming just this angry, everything is bad, everything's yeah. abusive, everything's bullshit in religion person. Mm-hmm. I'm not mm-hmm. saying everyone else has to follow that lead, but that's where I ended sure. up eventually saying, you know what? Yeah. I got to make a choice here of what I'm going to do. And ultimately, do I just want to stand on top of the rubble one day saying we did it, we destroyed everything? Or do I want to say, what are yeah. the new paths that we're trying to build for those of us who want to stay mm-hmm. in the house of Christian thought, right? If that's not you, mm-hmm. I totally sure. get it. I will high five you out the door. I will work with you anytime. I will listen to what you have to say. Mm-hmm. I'm on board for that. But as far as yeah. where I land religiously and the work I'm trying to do, we're very much still in the Christian tradition. That still drives sure. all the work that we do, right? 
So mm-hmm. I, it's interesting, right? Because that, that's like the first full cycle where I can re- even reflect on my own deconstruction yes. experience and my yeah. own anger and being on that content side yeah. and realizing like, wow, yeah. yeah, there's there's a platform here. And you know, mm-hmm. I have to be really careful with how I decide to navigate this because I want to yeah. help other people. I don't want to mm-hmm. give them more tools to become bitter because that can lead to mm-hmm. their own destruction, right? At some point, their own unhealthiness yeah. maybe is a better way of putting it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, I feel that. Yeah. And I can I can really appreciate like we all, we only know what we know, right? So it's right. like, yeah, like, oh my gosh, we, we come out of this, we have these experiences. Okay, I, I want to talk about it, and people are excited to talk about it. Totally. I remember back back whenever I first started kind of uh leaning into Calvinism, reform theology in a more kind of like choice way you know like i had been brought up in it but yeah. when it's like okay i'll i'll learn tulip right. and i'll you know like all the things right <laughs> yeah. i i remember somebody saying like uh and and this person was very much calvinist but he said something to the effect of like i think when somebody finally understands calvinism they should be locked in a padded room for two years and i was like huh and he's like because literally you become so annoying to everybody else because you just want to like everybody else to know and you want to like shout it from the rooftops and argue with everybody and whatever and sure enough that that is exactly what i did um you know in my own sphere of the world i was blessed to not go through this deconstruction process online because Social media wasn't a thing, you know, 15 years ago when I was kind of coming out of this. And I'm actually quite grateful for it. But I sometimes feel like we should, when you're coming out of it, like you should be locked in a padded room for a couple of years so you can get all your anger and rage out. And then you can have a space to go, okay, how do I want to help somebody else? It gives you more choice back, right? Oh, here's what I'm passionate about. And you know what? I do not blame, shame, guilt, despise anybody who comes out day one and they're like, this is what I'm doing. (laughs) But I think what you're seeing is that it's kind of that, you know, age brings wisdom type thing. Um, And it's like, okay, here I am three years out. And I'm like, oh, I feel a bit more grounded. I feel um, less inclined to jump on every single little thing. And I can sit back and go, here's kind of what works within kind of the goals and missions of TNE. Yeah, and right. like, I, I kind of, I have my set of values and I can operate from those. And, and it feels just like, ah, okay, this, this feels better than being ragey all the time. Yes. I think we need the ragey, right? Oh, we do. It's just I unsustainable. Love I love raging. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, but but you, I'm sure, I mean, I don't know this, but like you could probably look back at videos you made three years ago as opposed to yesterday and you could go, wow, look at the posture I take, the tone I take, Definitely. how I talk about things, how I'm able to navigate this difficult issue and kind of where the landing point is. Yeah. And you go, oh, that's very different. Yeah. And I, no, that, that, that only part's happens definitely through true. Time. I, I look back to some yeah. of my videos. I'm yeah. like, well, do I regret this? No. Um, you know, sure. what was it necessary? Yeah, yeah. Yes. But I'm glad that I'm not there yeah. in the same way. Right. Like there's a video I have. It's still exactly. up, right? The, exactly. the opening line is mm-hmm. I go, John MacArthur's a fucking racist. That's the first thing I say. And then I play clips <laughs> of him talking about slavery, which are incredibly racist. <laughs> yeah. Right. So was I wrong? Yes, no. Yes. Was I angry? Yes. No. Do I regret it? Absolutely not. Would I do it again the yeah. same exact way? <laughs> I'm not sure because, and here's why. Right. The, the, the reason right. isn't because I think that calling him a fucking racist is wrong. I mean, he's he has espoused right. racist views often, right? But, but yes, yes. I'm, I'm thinking yeah. I'm a little more pragmatic where I think about 
how do I convince people who need to get out underneath his mm-hmm. mind control that who they're sitting under is mm-hmm. problematic? Is calling him a fucking yeah. racist gonna get the yes. job done? Probably not. You know, right. can I do it in a more right. in a more yeah. like educated way of like, hey, you should be really concerned about this while accomplishing mm-hmm. the same goal? Probably, mm-hmm. right? So I think yeah. I, I use that example yeah. often of like how I've shifted yeah. in my approach while still holding a lot of the same views. Yes. Well, I think, yeah. um, you know, I, I actually posted about this on my social media this weekend. It was a video that you had posted about this gal who, you know, made these ridiculous comments oh, about women needing one. to be Jeez. controlled. Like, oh, my gosh. I mean, I wrote a whole Substack post about it. Like, it, it's so it's it's so deeply problematic. But I think what was so interesting about it is you actually gave very little commentary. You had, you know, what, 15 seconds of like, basically, like, I think this is abusive. Can you spot the abuse? And if you can't. Can share in the comments below of like what you see, which is actually a really generous way to start a conversation because it 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 instead of saying hey okay this word th- this phrase is abusive this thing right here this is abusive you're going tell me what you see like you're making you're you're inviting that other person to think to 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 see what resonates or does not resonate with them and i think that's for me i always think that's a really good place to land because then i'm not in control of what you're thinking right you get to be the determiner whoever you is of of what you're taking from this yeah and that to me feels like a much safer place to land well there are two reasons i did that number one is that's true um and also like for instagram reels you have i mean this is this is the content side of me talking now of what yeah. i learned over the past yeah. year you have like 90 seconds tops to get your point across yes right? and so i'm like yeah. well you know this would be if i wanted to get my own commentary i would just do a youtube video kind of going through it line by line and so i found that mm. youtube is much better for like hey you want my opinion on something you want my commentary watch the long form I will also yep. say as a content creator, I'm learning that the more questions you ask your audience, especially for reels, and the more that you yes. set up the actual video, the better engagement mm-hmm. you're going to get. And so that's why yeah. I did. I'm like, you know what? I think this is bad shit crazy. I need to know if you think this is bad shit crazy. So leave a comment. And literally yeah. there are 5,000 comments. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, it worked, you know? So, but yeah. also the video yes. itself is so shocking, right? Like, it, well, it's shocking, yes. but it's also like, oh, I totally see how she could get there mm-hmm. based on the evangelical mm-hmm. tradition that I grew up in that was quote-unquote yeah, complementarian. Yeah. Now, people yeah. in that space would say that's an extreme view. I get that, but the principles remain the same. I'm underneath my I, husband. Yeah. I need someone to teach me, to lead me. Mm-hmm. It's the same ideas, mm-hmm. just in a more vulgar, you know, blunt way. Yes. But the, the premise is the exact yes. same. That's exactly what I said in my in my Substack. I was like, you know, when I watched it, I was like, I might not have used the term bitch because right. I wasn't allowed to cuss. Right. But what she said, I would not have disagreed with. And I probably would have been like, hey, good job for being so blunt about it because somebody needs to be. There exactly. would have been a time in my life where I would have clapped for her and yeah. said, preach. That is what people need to hear. And now, I mean, and I, I worked through this in the in my own commentary of it but i was like i mean it gr- it makes my heart so sad i'm grieved yeah. because of that yeah. because then i see the you know the people in my office are the ones that are that have been harmed by this and and we we have a lot of then damage to untangle yeah, so no, yeah agree. it's wild <laughs> 
Well, listen, this was a great conversation. We yeah. covered a lot of topics. Yeah. Friends, the book yes. is When Religion Hurts You, Healing from Religious Trauma and the Impact of High Control Religion. Dr. Laura E. Anderson, you are the author of that book. Thank you for making yes. so much time. Where can folks find oh, you? you? If they're like, wow, Dr. Laura is badass. Yeah. I want to follow her. Where can they go to thank do that? Thank you. Yeah. So I am online on all platforms as Dr. Laura E. Anderson. That's my website as well, drlauraeanderson.com. And so you can uh, see the podcast that I co-host, my Substack, all of my services. I also am the director of the Center for Trauma Resolution and Recovery. We are an online trauma coaching company, and we specialize with folks coming out of high control religions, cults, purity culture, fundamentalism, dealing with adverse religious experiences and religious trauma. And we see clients from all over the the world. And so we do groups and individual, but we are an individual coaching, but we're also adding on courses, seminars, workshops, things like that, uh, just to be able to expand what we offer as well as uh, the different kind of ex- access points that people can have. Um, so we are trauma resolution and recovery.com as well as trauma resolution and recovery on Facebook and Instagram. We're not on Twitter or on uh, Insta- um, what's the other one? TikTok. Threads? Oh, TikTok. Oh, TikTok. <laughs> oh, yeah. You, sh- you yeah, should be TikTok, on TikTok. Yeah. You should go on TikTok. Well, so we, uh, it's all technically under my account on TikTok. So yes, I know we, I need to, pull them apart, differentiate them, but I just haven't had time yet. So, uh, don't yeah, gotta tell yeah. me. I totally yeah, get yeah. it. So. <laughs> you get it. <laughs> Laura, again, it was such a pleasure having you on. Thank you for your time. Thank I'm you. sure we'll talk again soon. Yes. Sounds good. <laughs>